time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. You know, I, I think I have post-election BO. Uh, <laughs> I mean, burnout. Yeah, post-election burnout. <sighs> the Messiah Obama is now president-elect. Uh, <laughs> that's about the only word I have for it. Ugh. I uh, probably watched like 50 different news shows last night. <laughs> I uh, got to bed at a somewhat decent hour, uh, somewhere before midnight. But then, you know, I, I you know, couldn't put the mind to sleep. And so I was up again at 3 in the morning, you know, flipping channels, just, you know, looking for... You know, how things went on the propositions and stuff like that. I watch ESPN. You watch DSPN, yeah. See, well, see, being a nerd, you know, I, I naturally I naturally gravitate towards politics. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, yeah, we don't do political commentary on this program. I mean, anyway, it's... So we've been covering it from the uh, from the uh, the Messiah Obama angle, and I got to tell you, every time I turn around, somebody's sending me more examples of how uh, Obama supposedly the Messiah, and the the examples get creepier and creepier. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just don't need this. I mean, can you bat over three hundred? No, that's the thing. He can't bat over three hundred, and. You know what's funny is is that he he kind of looks like a short little wimpy guy. But he's got a good jump shot. He he has a good jump yeah. shot. He does. So Obama can he, he's got he's got skills. Yeah. <laughs> Bow hunting skills. Bow hunting Computer hacking skills. Basketball skills. <laughs> oh, my nerdiness is coming out again. But you're laughing now. Yeah, yeah. So is it the end of the world? No, it's not the end of the world. Um, the uh, the basically, you know, I think Kim Riddlebarger had a great take on it today on his blog. I'll have to put a link up to it. It's the riddleblog.com or something like or riddle I forget his, his anyway. And basically, if you look back over the history of the United States, you know, there's been this, there's these little pendulum swings that happen, you know. So, you know, you, you back you, you had uh, Kennedy, he was kind of a center-left kind of guy. And then you got LBJ, who was definitely left. And then you got uh, Nixon, who comes in. He's center-right. And then, you know, and and, and you got uh, Ford, same, kind of that center-right position. And then you got uh, Carter, who, I, you know, the, I re, I'm old enough to remember the Carter administration. That was those, those be some miserable days. Anyway, he was I think he was kind of center left and then you got Reagan hard right. And then you got Bush, the first the first one, uh, you know, he's center right. And then you got Clinton who he he really kind of governed center left and then you got uh, Bush who came in and kind of governed center right. And so you got these little pendulum sw- pendulum swings and it's been a while since we had somebody who's really taken the ship and just, you know, did a hard, you know, <laughs> a hard left on us, you know. You know, hard to port. There we go. So, um, so it's it's question is what's Obama going to do? I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you look at his record, he seems to be one thing, and if you listen to his rhetoric, he seems, sounds like another thing. So, 
I don't know. So, what do I know about this? So, um, anyway, enough about Obama, the Messiah. But oh, I was gonna, I was gonna actually, uh, you know, read to you some of the latest things. I posted these over at the Museum of Idolatry. Some more examples of the uh, Obama Messiah stuff and the stuff that was creeping me out from the Telegraph in the UK. They had a story they put up yesterday called uh, the headline reads Barack Obama. He's been sent by God. <laughs> um, from the Smith College, uh, the they have a student press. Um, Maggie uh, Mertens writes, the headline re- reads, I will follow him, Obama, as my personal Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. From the Daily Cost, that ever-so-fun leftist uh, uh, internet rag, <laughs> the, the, one of their writers muses, he says, what if Obama is the second coming of Jesus Christ? <laughs> uh, see, that's the thing. We, have, we, we cover it from the religious angle, and the best thing I could say is, blah. Well, Bush was chosen by God? That's what Bush thinks? Well, I mean, in a real sense, I mean, we can say biblically that there are no leaders. There are no... There are no heads of state that, that, you know, that do not get there by the will of God. Some is a punishment. (laughs) I wouldn't exactly call Hitler a blessing, yet he was elected by the people of Germany. Very influential. Yeah, very very influential. He made uh, the Time Magazine's Man of the Year. I bet you anything Obama's going to be Man of the Year. What do you think? Yeah, I I think Obama's going to be Man of the Year. I. Anyone want to, you know, bet something on that one? I, th- there's no way around it. He's definitely Time Magazine's Man of the Year. Yeah. <clears throat> so historic win, though, definitely. I guess we can officially say that uh, the United States uh, ain't racist no more. Maybe there's some pockets of racism, but I mean, it's kind of an interesting, you know, at, at our inception as a, as a country, as a nation. With the uh, with the first pass through on the Constitution, I mean, uh, slaves and black people were not even considered human. You know, remember the Dred Scott decision before the uh, Civil War and and uh, the civil, you know, all of the problems that went with. It. I mean, so we've come a long way. I mean, that that's congratulations, the United States. You've made some progress. You know, you're dirty, rotten sinners in a bunch of other ways, though. <laughs> Just not this way anymore. <laughs> All right, so got some email today, and uh, you, we'll, we'll cover we'll cover another angle of the Obama thing here. We're, we're going to do some listener email. I'm going to play a little bit more of my interview yet, uh, that I did yesterday with uh, Jim Mayhew from the One Million for Jesus Christ, and it it ties in with another story that we're going to be doing today. There there was a uh, a supposed uh, prophetic ministry uh, that uh, God told these people. That um, apparently God told these people that McCain and Palin were going to win the election. They got direct revelation from God that McCain and Palin were going to win the election. Now, I, I funny enough, I, people email me these things. You know, I don't go seeking a lot of this stuff out. It it finds me. You know, I go to my email inbox and and there's things there for me to look at. And so there was a uh, there's an organization called Shekinah Today, 
you know, Shekinah kind of referring to the Shekinah glory of God. And it's supposedly a prophetic ministry. And back, uh, they sent out a newsletter, an E, a prophetic E newsletter, uh, proclaiming that they had received a prophecy. You know, they were sending it out as a prophecy to the church regarding McCain and Palin. And it was on October 14th. And in in, in, apparently God spoke to a gal by the name of Cindy DeVille. No, no relation to Cruella. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and um, I'll read the later, in just a little bit, I'll read to you the, uh, the prophecy that supposedly God gave regarding McCain Palin and, um, and what the aftermath now is on their website for Shekinah Today. <laughs> so we got a little bit of Obama type news, but we got some email here today and, um, Got an email regarding our discussion yesterday on spiritual gifts from Jack in Rochester, Minnesota. He writes, he says, Chris, I heard your discussion yesterday on spiritual gifts and had a question. At our church, they teach about each person's spiritual gifts and encourage each member to use them. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of a positive way of approaching it. He says, however, you know, how, the words but and however always erase the things right before them. You know, so... I'm always careful when I'm when I'm critiquing an employee. If if I'm going to tell them first the things that they're doing right, and then uh, and then want to use some positive, you know, I want to critique them and give them some areas where they can improve. I never use the word but. I always use the word and. It actually makes a huge difference. He said, you know, uh, I really think you're doing a good job here and you're doing a great job there, but. <laughs> Yeah, that word but, it, is, it it just erases everything before it. So he says, I heard your discussion yesterday on spiritual gifts, had a question. Um, he says that typically members are provided a survey to help them identify their spiritual gifts. Yeah, spiritual gifts inventories, spiritual gift surveys. I think I've taken a couple of those in, in my churchy lifestyle, <laughs> in my lifetime as as a, as a lifelong member of the Christian church. Um yeah, my I, it's been a long time since I've taken a spiritual gifts uh, inventory or survey. And the one thing I would do right off the bat, my skeptical side of me now that I'm you know in my 40s and and just don't follow you know fall for everything hook line and sinker is how accurate do you think those things are? You know, um, and how on earth did the Christian Church survive? almost two full millennia without spiritual gifts, inventories, and surveys. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it, I, I, you know, it's not like tarot cards. John, bad John. All right. <laughs> All right, so he says, the result of this, of these surveys, is that we're seeing members of the church say, well... This is not something I should do as as it's not my spiritual gift. See, that's the that's the problem with these things. Okay, you you think you're helping somebody out by helping him take a spiritual gift survey? Wow, you've made a decision for Jesus. <clears throat> Already got a problem with that kind of language to begin with. So the person has has become a Christian, and so the Holy Spirit now indwells them. Quick, give them a spiritual gift survey or or something so we can figure out what gifts the Holy Spirit gave them so we can get them to work, right? And then what happens is, is they get the results of their spiritual gift survey and they look at it like an employee would a job description, okay? 
Any of you all have somebody, an employee working under you and you went to them and said, you know, I've got this project we need some help on. And, uh, you know, do you think you can help us out? And the person looks you dead in the face and says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. That's not in my job description. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jack, you're kind of describing a, a real problem here in human nature. And I, I, I see this in the workplace all the time. Um that, uh, that people will take a tool that's supposed to help them out and they will use it as a means of justifying not getting in and helping out. Because, you know, I'd love to help you on that whole thing that you're doing to help feed the poor this Thanksgiving, but mercy was not one of my big spiritual gifts. In fact, I'm more of an administrative guy, so I can't help you out there. <laughs> it's sad. This is this is a... <clears throat> this is... Sinful nature in action, folks. That's what this is called here. All right, so, um, okay. Thus, some need some needs are not met because no one feels gifted. Feels gift. No one feels gifted. I just don't feel gifted in that area. Yeah, let, let me pray about that. No, the answer came back no. <laughs> My wife and I are of the feeling that regardless of what gifts you had, you should also try to grow gifts through the Spirit, as well as utilizing and developing those the Spirit has already gifted you. So even if we do not feel gifted in a certain area, we volunteer to help to see it, to see a need that we prayerfully believe should be met. Good point. Should we be encouraging our leadership to focus less on what spiritual gifts each person has and more on growing the gifts each has, as well as a development of new gifts? It's uh, discouraging to see Christians watch uh, needs go unmet because they do not feel gifted to help out. Okay. Uh, Jack, the problem here is the approach. The problem has to do with the fact that you guys are actually measuring for something that the Holy Spirit is doing. And um, one of the things that's really clear from the passage that we read from 1 Corinthians is is that uh, Paul says to eagerly desire uh, spiritual gifts, especially the ones that build up the church. So it's this idea, people have this idea that, okay, well, once I'm giving a, a given a specific spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit isn't going to give them any other gifts. Um, or that, that, that somehow that's static and set in stone. And so what's what's happening is is that this this tool that you guys are using is creating a mindset that is kind of a once for all thing, like a personality test. Once you score a particular way in a personality test, you're not really going to change much. And so personality test and and spiritual gift surveys, you know, I came back high on this, 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 and this. Um, I think the better thing to do, and for lack of a better way of saying it, is keep people in the dark as to what their spiritual gifts are, especially if they're young in the faith. The reality is is that some of these things are not going to be really become evident until they get involved. It's almost like going to college. Okay, This is probably a good metaphor. Um, when I went to college the first time, <clears throat> we won't talk about um, that little the, – the details as to why there was a first and a second time um, – the first time I went, I went to the University of California, Irvine, and because my parents really strongly thought that social science and economics was an important thing in my life, they wanted me to be an e- economist, okay? And so um, my first few uh, semesters or quarters at UC Irvine, go anteaters, <laughs> that's, their, that's their mascot. I mean, how embarrassing is that? Going to a college where the mascot is an anteater. I think the only thing worse is like at UC Santa Cruz, it's like a banana slug or something like that. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And see, it, now, see, you can't have Native American mascots nowadays. And I wonder how long it's going to be before the PETA people start complaining about the fact that we're somehow denigrating animals by having them as mascots for colleges and high schools. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> anyway, well, what happened is, is that, you know, I figured, well, that's a great place to start. So I went and I attended college classes and took the uh, beginning economic courses. And um, I hated it. I really, 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 really stunk at it. Um, although I understand it, I didn't really love it and didn't really apply myself to it. But I was taking some other classes, you know, uh, other co- courses in social sciences and history and, and philosophy and um, psychology. And what happened is, is that the approach there was, you know, put your feet in the water in many different places and see if something really appeals to you. And uh, see if that's what you're, what you're really wired to do. And so um, you know, what happened there is is that I just in that in the, the the liberal arts approach to doing it, I found some things that I really enjoyed. And as a result of it, there's certain disciplines, certain academic disciplines that I've uh, that I've applied to my life, and and I continue to follow for my entire life. And so um, I think that's the way we should approach. Uh, spiritual gifts. What we need to do is, first of all, you know, take a look at the needs that are out there for building up the body and taking care of, you know, and, and doing the things that the church really, you know, should be doing, and then encouraging people to try a bunch of different things out, rather than taking a survey which somehow locks them into this mindset. This is a once for all thing. Have them get their toes wet in serving in multiple ways, and and what that would end up doing is not not having people having a stagnant static view of spiritual gifts but they would really see all the different needs that are available or that need to be tended to within the body of Christ and some people will gravitate towards particular things naturally and other people will grad, grad, you know gravitate towards other things naturally and that way all of the needs are being met but i really think you need to encourage people to get moving and get involved in multiple different levels and let the let the gifts that the holy spirit has given bubble to the top you know basically say we don't know what you're really geared to do we don't know what the holy spirit has done for you let's so let's try a few things and go at it that way i think that's a far better way of doing it and then you, you you're going to avoid this whole trap of well i'm sorry that's not in my job description yeah what what's that t-shirt say uh, the fighting whiteies. So in the future, uh, all mascots are going to be white. Well, just this one. Okay, the fighting whiteies. Wow, that's creepy. <laughs> it's a wimpy school. Uh, <laughs> it sounds too much like tidy whiteies. Anyway, so uh, Jack, I hope that answers your question. All right, we got another email here. This one, you know, well, by the way, this one's uh, regarding a, a show that we did a while ago, and that's okay. If you want to email me and chime in regarding a program that we did months ago, you can do that because, like issues, etc., we value our online listeners. We do. And so um, Steve writes regarding the uh, program we did on Triple X Church. Triple X Church is that porn uh, porn outreach, and they're trying to get people to, you know to stop doing porn, and uh, and they attend porn conferences and things like that, and they hand out Bibles that say uh, Jesus loves porn stars and things like that. And my my critique of them basically boiled down to the fact that 
they're 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 not really preaching Christ in the gospel. You know, they're preaching a message of get off of porn, but that's just the law. It doesn't it it doesn't focus on Christ. It doesn't focus on the cross. It doesn't focus on the gospel. And there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no cross on their website. And they even, in, you know, we played part of an excerpt that they did on a, on a different radio program or podcast where their uh, one of their directors basically said, you know, we're not interested in, in really even putting up, you know, any overt Christian things on our website. And so, you know, go back and I'll put a link up to it. That, that's what I need to do. Okay, Rosebro needs to put a couple links up. One link to Riddlebarger's blog and the other link to tri- to the Triple X program that we did. So um, Steve writes from Tucson, Arizona. It looks like Tucson. Yeah. <clears throat> My ignorance is showing through. Okay, it says, I, I know this is a late comment, but I listened to your podcast on Triple X Church. I just wanted to affirm I think that you hit the nail square on the head with your assessment. I listened uh, to their podcast for a year, and I agree uh, with them going to the conventions and not protesting outside. Yeah, you know, which I gave them kudos for that because you know, the, rather than protesting with signs outside, get it, get inside, get a booth, and and offer people the gospel. I mean, I, you know, at least that's a different way of doing it. He said, "I I assumed since they were Christians, they were sharing the gospel." After enough listening and during the same year that he was listening to their podcast and learning about the emerging church, I one day got the picture. I don't know if you found this on your show prep, but Craig Gross, uh, Craig Gross moved from California to Michigan primarily to attend slash partner with Rob Bell's church. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think I had known about that, but I didn't. It wasn't something that was like brought to the. You know, it's not something I was consciously aware of. I know there was some kind of connection between Rob Bell and Triple uh, X Church, but I wasn't sure what it was. But now that explains a lot. Rob Bell, emergent guru, he says, "Yeah, don't expect the gospel from Triple X Church. Also, uh, they do give out Bibles, but they are the message. Man, that message is messed up, man." And so, again, expectations on my part are low. I do not listen to them anymore or follow anything they do. When Way of the Master blew the whistle on Triple X Church, I wrote in, in them and suggested that they quit hammering and do an interview with Mr. Gross and ask him to, uh, about the gospel, but it, it did not happen. If you really do get on Triple X Church's podcast, let us know. I want to hear that one. Uh, you know, working on it. <laughs> they seem to be busy with other things nowadays, so... You know, they're not so much into defending themselves. Maybe with the downturn in the economy, it's difficult to get people to support porn ministries. <sighs> I wish I was making that up. All right, we're gonna do we're gonna do this one first. Okay. Now remember yesterday's program. I interviewed um, Jim Mayhew from One Million for Jesus Christ dot com. It's a it's a t shirt ministry whose goal is to sell 1 million t-shirts for Jesus Christ. Nice guy, Jim. Yeah, the nice guy. Jim's a nice guy. No, he really is an upstanding guy. And one of the things, you know, that my, my primary beef with them with him is the fact that on his website he claims that he got direct revelation from God. And in the interview, he calls it a download. He got a download from Jesus, complete with the bars that say status progress and all that thing. You know, basically, it, you know, giving him a vision for this thing that he can do for the kingdom will be huge, you know. And, um, and so I asked him how he knew it was from God. Right. 
And um, it which kind of leaves it opens up the whole thing. Here's the deal, folks. Uh, the charismatic and Pentecostal movements have have been mainstreamed, and their thinking and their and their ideas and their false doctrines have actually infiltrated the mainstream of American evangelicalism uh, to the point where uh, people ha- are expecting God to speak to them. Not sure if, if that happens. You know, like you remember. Uh, Lucille Ball claiming that she one time received, you know, radio communication through some dental work that she had. So I don't know, does, you know, if you have dental work done, if you can tune in the Holy Spirit a little better. Um, or if it's like the uh, the Mormons where you get the burning in the bosom or a liver shiver. And maybe that is just low blood sugar. You know, if you have an orange or a banana, maybe it'll go away. You know, um, the problem is, is that all this is subjective stuff. And, um, and so, you know, and and we're basically attributing it to God. And here's the deal, folks, I'm going to be quite blunt with you. Scripture is really clear. If you claim God is speaking to you about something and it turns out he wasn't speaking to you, you are a false prophet. You are attributing to God things that God did not say. And there are so many people who just flippantly like it's no big deal. Oh, God told me this and God told me that and God spoke this and God said that. You know what I say? Shut up. Serious. Do you want to be struck by lightning? Are you absolutely sure that God is the one telling you that? How would you know it's God? You see, all too often, you know, people are focusing on the subjective and what I, I think it's a demonic ploy to get you off of the, you know, focusing on where you can get a sure word from God. Where do you get a sure, certain, and objective word from God? It's called the Bible, okay? And I'm not interested in you coming up to me and saying, Chris, God told me to tell you. No, 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 don't even try that. God has my phone number. He knows all of my email addresses. He's capable of leaving a comment on any of my blogs. And he even knows where I live. He can show up and talk to me in person. If he needs to talk to me, he knows how to get a hold of me. Okay? But, um, which kind of leads to this issue here. The uh, Shekinah Today website. Okay? Uh, Daryl and Cindy DeVille. Not related to Cruella. Okay? Back on the 14th of October, 2008. Okay? They prophetic e-newsletter regarding McCain and Palin and gave a prophecy to the church claiming that it was directly from God. Let me read it to you. Um, October 14, 2008, given by Cindy DeVille. No relation to Cruella. That's my part. Preface. During prayer for our nation, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me to speak to his church regarding the upcoming elections. I fought this at first because he has never spoken such specifics to me regarding an election. So I humbly share his word with you. Okay, this is from the e-newsletter that was sent out by Shekinah today. Claiming that God gave Cindy DeVille, no relation to Cruella, specific information about the upcoming election. So here's what the Spirit said. She said, I keep hearing God say regarding the elections, quote, I will move them in the right way when it comes election day. The polls and the trends may look one way, but when it comes to election day, I'll move them the right way. I'll move them the right way. 
for I will have my way in this nation, for I will hear the cries of my people, my creation. My people, I hear their cries, those who are truly mine. Yes, this is a critical time. This is a crucial time. But I will move things my way. I will have my say. Continue to pray. Continue to pray. Apparently God thinks he's like Dr. Seuss or something. For I am bringing all things into line, into line for the end of time. Said Sam I am. That Sam I am. (laughs) So she says, I struggled with the release of this next part because it was so specific. But this is exactly what the Lord was saying. I hear God saying, quote, McCain, 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 and Palin, McCain, and Palin, McCain. I will use them. They will be an answer to the prayers of my people. I will use them. I will move them in. I will use them to remove sin. I will use them. I am strategically moving them in. It is a part of the turning. It's part of my plan. That Sam I am. That Sam I am. No, I, I put that Sam I am part. For this nation to turn back to me again. So do not fear what is coming near. Do not fear. For I will have my way. I will have my say. I have heard my people pray. I have heard them crying out to me. Whatever must be done. Whatever must be done. Whatever I must do, I will do. And I will answer you. I will answer your prayers. I keep hearing God say, McCain and Palin, McCain and Palin, they are the ones, they are the ones, my will be done, my will be done. They are the ones, they are the ones, they will run, they will fight, and they will do what's right. They will do what's right, they will do what's right. Blah, 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 blah. So apparently God, through this Dr. Seuss-esque direct revelation given to Cindy DeVille, no relation to Cruella, um, from Shekinah Today on October 14th said that McCain and Palin were going to win the elections. Did you say that they can remove sin? And that they remove sin, yeah. Yeah, apparently, apparently that means something about, you know, enacting moral legislation. Yeah, moral legislation removes sin. No, it doesn't. <laughs> the only thing that removes sin is the blood of Christ. No legislation from any political party removes sin so there you have it um well um folks have you seen the news are you aware that um barack obama won not mccain palin so what are we to make of this prophecy well when we come back from the break we'll (laughs) we'll listen to uh what these folks had to say about the apparent lack of ability for you know, God apparently didn't figure out how to motivate at least six to seven million people, how to pull the, the lever the other way, which was what would have been necessary. You know, if you'd like to email me and you still think that this is a valid prophecy from God and that somehow before the inauguration, uh, what, that McCain and Palin will somehow make it into office, email me. <laughs> Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back.
unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. Oh, that's crazy. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. Here at Fighting for the Faith, what do we do? We dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. Take a look at what's going on out there in the name of Christianity and religion and ask, is this uh, Christianity? Is this what the Bible really teaches? That's what we do. During the break, John and I were talking, this whole fighting whitey thing you know, had me scratching my head. Apparently, the story behind the fighting whiteys, um, you know how uh, different colleges and high schools and even major sports teams, they have Native American mascots, you know, the Redskins, the, uh, you know, the Indians, the, you know, the whatever. Apparently, the fighting whiteys is an intercollegiate group made up of Native Americans, and they decided they were going to have their mascot be the fighting whiteys. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. <laughs> oh, people after my own sense of humor. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Some kind of a protest statement, right? Oh, hilarious. <laughs> All right. So we we were in the middle of uh, asking the question, if God's speaking to you, how do you know it's God talking to you, Right. So we, we just got done reading a Dr. Seuss-esque apparent vision uh, or spoken word given to Cindy DeVille. No relation to Cruella, by the way. Just don't know if you know that. And um, and basically she claimed that God told her that McCain and Palin were going to win. And um, hmm, that isn't what happened, is it? Not even close. Um, in case you haven't read the news, ha- we're watching television last night, have somehow been in the middle of the earth in a, in a bomb-proof shelter of some kind, waiting, you know, you've actually decided to just poke your head out after the whole Y2K scare right now. You finally, you know, the spam ran out in your Y2K bomb shelter, and you're just coming out of it. Um, Barack Obama is president-elect for the United States, and apparently this direct revelation from God didn't really, um out so what are we left to conclude here well it's pretty obvious that um cindy deville no relation to cruella is uh, a false prophetess god didn't speak this to her and this whole shekinah today thing built on false 
prophecy built on false revelation from God. And do you think God just kind of goes, oh, that's okay. You're human. You make a mistake. We all make mistakes. I know that you thought I said McCain Palin, but I was saying Obama Biden, but I was saying it so fast in my Dr. Seuss-esque revelation that you misinterpreted what I said. Right? No. So, um, Shekinah today issued a statement. Okay. Issued a statement. It says, Dear friends, we feel a great weight of responsibility to communicate with you in regards to the elections and the McCain-Palin prophecy. At this moment, we are truly in a state of shock and disbelief at the outcome of this election. As we completely believed we had heard clearly from God on this, or we never would have shared it, as a ministry, we are setting time aside to pray and to seek God's counsel. You need to spend some time repenting, shutting the whole Shekinah thing down, and getting into God's word, and stop with this nonsense that you're receiving direct revelation from God as if you're a prophet or a prophetess, because you're not. We know that Obama has not yet been sworn in, and it is possible that things could happen or be exposed that could change the ultimate outcome. But at the same time, it's possible that he will be sworn in, and if so, that leaves us with an inaccurate prophecy about the outcome of this election. We are seeking God for his understanding in all of this. His ways are higher than our ways, Isaiah 55, 9. If in the end this prophecy does prove to be inaccurate, then we sincerely ask God for forgiveness for our weak use of his power and for bringing any reproach on his name. And secondly, with brokenness, sincerity, and humility, we ask that you would forgive us in any way we gave you false hope. P.S. For the time being, we plan to suspend the e-news updates. Please continue to pray in prayer for our nation and those in leadership. Okay, great. We forgive you. Shut your site down and go get a real job. Serious. We forgive you. Now shut the site down and quit with this pretense that God's talking to you. It's obvious he's not. <sighs> Man. So all of this, yeah, God, that's got to be really embarrassing. I mean, to give a clear prophecy that, you know, but, you know, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses have given a bazillion prophecies regarding the end of the world, and those, none of those came about, and somehow they've survived. Don't worry. False prophets and prophetesses always have a way of figuring out a new way to make money and continue on and recover from these little bumps and bruises that occur along the way. So this comes back to <clears throat> Jim from OneMillionForJesus.com. Now... What is the hook in here? Well, okay, he hasn't given a false prof prophecy per se, but he demonstrates what I consider to be one of the major, major problems in American Christianity is this complete subjective uh, focus on the subjective and this idea that, you know, God's going to give you direct revelation for things. Okay? Um, just so you know, the Lutheran position on this, is this God speaks to us through his word and in his word he says thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path so God's word pretty much gives you just about enough light for you to make the next step and as for the rest of it you're completely in the dark 
and notice it's God's word. Why is it God's word? Well, because God's word gives us a sure and certain word that we can go to that we know is from God. It's not something we're making up. It's something that's sure and certain. It's the apostolic teaching of God. You want to know what God has to say to you? Read the book. Oh, well, that's putting God in a box and you're worshiping a Bible. You're a you're you're engaging in bibliolatry. That's a lame argument. It really is lame. Folks, God speaks to us through his word. Now, I'm not saying he can't speak to us in other ways. I mean, who am I to limit God, right? But the thing is, is that I, we have got to get back to this idea that when God's speaking to people directly, that's kind of the uh, few and far between thing, okay? And if someone's claiming to uh, be receiving direct downloads from God, then um, that person needs to be taken and catechized. Needs to be you need you need to take that person and do a full blown doctrinal spiritual audit on that person in in i'm serious in a way that is more painful than an irs audit why because we're dealing with with things here that affect people's eternal salvation you know i'm sorry but the shekinah today folks that's not an oopsie that's a major screw-up that completely undermines any credibility they have whatsoever about God speaking to them. And yet they have been, go- for for a while now, they've had a ministry on the internet sending out prophetic e-newsletters, you know, telling people what God is telling, you know, supposedly telling them. Well, it turns out God wasn't telling them nothing. Nothing. So this goes back to <clears throat> the uh, folks over at... Um, at one million for Jesus. Okay. Now I want to read to you something here from their website. Let me pull this up. Uh, contact daily devotions community. Let's see. <laughs> one million for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Back. Here we go. I'm having a hard time finding this page now. It was right there. Rosebro, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. My show prep is just—it's just not what it used to be. I had the—I had the page open, and now I've got to—I've got to actually hunt for it. Oh, don't you love it when you do that? Yeah. Okay, let's see here. That's you provide. All right. Um, well, basically, the idea there was that they were claiming that God gave Jim Mayhew direct revelation, a direct download. This is what happened in 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 our uh, in our interview. We covered this that uh, he received direct revelation from God, basically st- telling him to start this company. He it was it was a vision that he had here. And so um, the idea then was is that God was the one who gave it. Um, and uh, and as a result of it, that's how this whole one million for Jesus came about. Now, if you actually look at their website, if you go to 1m4jc.com, then you you actually get uh, you you actually can see the t-shirts and. 
just just looking at the design, my blunt um, my my blunt feedback on this is, you know, it's not all that clear that this is a Christian T-shirt. You know, you want to take a look at the design. Yeah. You know, by the way, John Baker is a designer. That's the T-shirt right there. Other than the fish, yeah. There's kind of there's a there's a sort of a fish symbol in there, but it's 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 not exactly right out there in the open. And in smaller text, it says one million uh, believers for Jesus Christ. So, um, it so anyway, he Jim was pretty blunt about the fact that he claimed that he received a direct revelation from God to start this company. All right. Well, that's great. Now, along with it, since their vision was to set the part of the download was to do something big for the kingdom, you know, they it's one million for Jesus Christ. So therefore, I think it's completely fair, completely fair to say, you know what? If if Jesus gave you the vision for one million for Jesus Christ for this T-shirt company, that the number itself is also inspired by God. And I don't think Jim would argue with that, that the number was also inspired. This was supposedly coming from God. So my question to him uh, on the program yesterday was, if you don't reach your number, um, then, you know, was it really from God? And I'm going to replay his answer and let it run for just a little bit so that you can hear it. But uh, here's me asking him, uh, Jim, about this, you know, whether or not it's from God. Let's say you know you you run this thing out for the, the next year and a half, and uh, you end up having to BK the business, and uh, you're out, you know, out of your pocket, you know, twenty, thirty grand, you know, rather than making a profit, you've you've end up lost, losing some money. Was it still inspired by God? Oh, I have to believe it is absolutely. All right. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure how to if there's a need to elaborate on that or or, or not. If we do that, now, now we've got a lot of shirts out there. Um, I'm talking to you today, so people are hearing my voice. Right. Um, we have met hundreds or probably thousands of people on a very personal level over, you know, being at some Christian music events this past summer. Uh-huh. I've gotten to share my faith with total strangers. I've gotten to share my faith with people who I know are not Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has shaped me into being a stronger, better Christian man, as it has done Rob. So... Is this a failure? I mean, is it is it not a God thing if we don't succeed, whether we make a million shirts? Maybe we make, you know, maybe we sell 5,000 or 10,000 shirts, um, 50,000, whatever it is. Uh, I still believe that it, that it comes straight from God in that um, we have carried out, you know, plans uh, for, for his, what he has wanted us to do as Christians to share our faith. Well, I'll tell you this: it's it's absolutely commendable that you're you know you're getting out of your house and and uh, making an effort to uh, get the gospel of Jesus Christ front and center and to share your faith. I mean, so on that front, you know, absolutely, you know, this sounds like something that has been successful, not according to worldly business standards and wisdom, but maybe according to the kingdom of God, which God has a funny sense of humor anyway in these types of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, you know, I appreciate you, you, you know, saying that. Um, um, like I said, we, we just uh, are doing everything that we can within our power. Of course, we pray about it, and, and we trust that, that God's either going to see this through or he's not. And, and there's a lot of Scripture verses, you know, that, that support that. You know, a good work that I start in you, you know, I'll see it through kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, um, 
you know, hopefully we're successful. And, and like I said, in, in a couple of ways, then, then we're, you know, coming back to your question of changing the world. And that's a, that's a catchphrase that carries to me a little bit of weirdness today, um, uh-huh. you know, with the election thing and, and, and all that. And I, I just, you know, uh, if somebody is skeptical of us, uh, I would urge anybody. We're, Rob and I are easy to get a hold of. You can email us. Uh, we're on Facebook. Um, just for example, at 1m4jc.com, you can go under the About Us. You can see our statement of faith. You can, there's a link to our church home. You know, w- this is a Bible-based, um, uh, faith-based kind of, a, kind of a deal. And uh, I guess for anybody who might question our integrity, our sincerity, or anything on that, you know, we welcome that. We, we've had some... We've had some tough questions. We've had some people say, hey, you guys are doing something, you know, would Jesus be happy with this kind of thing? And, and so we've talked about that, and, and those are the kinds of things that we've had to kind of prepare for and, and um, do a heart check, you know? Mm-hmm. Are, 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 we, are we aligned with what God has asked us to do? All right. Let me ask you one more tough question. Okay. All right. Um, if you had to define the gospel in a nutshell, give me this a uh, quick synopsis of what is the good news. What is that? All right. It all starts in the Garden of Eden. Okay. The fall of man was Adam. Right. So we are born into sin. Uh, God brings his son to earth in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. Right. Jesus Christ is crucified. Uh, he dies for our sins. Okay. The only way that we can have redemption and be restored new in newness to you know to a heavenly the, the way we were really originally created to be mm-hmm. is to uh, repent of our sins, ask Jesus to into our lives, to realize that He only not died on the cross, but He rose three days later for us, and with. Um, you know, with with our acceptance of him and with uh, repenting um, and being obedient in terms of things like being baptized and such. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and once again, I don't believe that baptism is a is a the only way in or or guarantees you in. There's you have to have the other components there. Okay. To me, that's the gospel. Okay. So, uh, are we saved by, completely by what Christ does, or is there our part and His part? Well, no. It's. Uh, I, I believe that we're saved by by what Jesus Jesus atoned our sins for us on the cross. Right. Um, now we, I, I'm not quite sure what you're getting at right there, I, or if I'm explaining quite the way that you want me to say it. But uh, here, here's the fact, and this is what I believe: Jesus died for us on the cross so that we can have eternal life in heaven when we die. And how we get there is by um, repenting and asking him into our lives and accepting that he died and rose again for us. Okay. Well, I think that that sounds like pretty darn close to the Christian gospel to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I do. This is a theological program, so I like grilling people, not just bit from a business point of view, but also theologically, just to, you know, to get where they're at. Jim, you sound like, you know, you, you sound like an upstanding guy. You sincerely are trying to make a contribution and uh, I, I don't, I can't tell you whether or not you're going to sell a million T-shirts. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're getting out and uh, getting out in the community. And uh, as a result of this product, you're, you know, you've had opportunities to share that gospel with uh, people who 
do not trust in Christ for their salvation. Absolutely. So, so well, Chris, I, I appreciate the the opportunity to come on, and I appreciate the tough questions. I, I really do, and and uh, you might catch me a little off guard on some of those. It, it, it's one of those things that's top of the mind, but I guess you know I wasn't necessarily ready to go right there. And and uh, but anyway, you know, my church home. Um, and my pastor, uh, you know, six years ago, I would have never said those things to you. Right. Um, I, I was unsaved, and at best, and I mean at best, I was an agnostic. And, uh, you know, Jesus has made a difference in my life that, that no one who, you know, can really understand. I mean, it's one thing to be a good person, which, you know, overall we all think we are. Right. But it's another thing to understand um, where we can get to when, when we're yoked with him. All right. Hey, real quick question. Um, sure. Y- you know, you had uh, talked about uh, the fact that you have a business in there in uh, Vinton. I guess you do graphic design work and stuff like that. Do you, do you consider the work that you do as a graphic artist to uh, to be a calling that is a good work in God's eyes? Or do you oh. have to do other things in order to really to please God in what you do on a daily basis? Um, well, you know, I think I think there's a lot of things involved with that. You, you know, the, when you ask me that, that brings to mind my favorite verse. It's Colossians 3.23, and it says, Whatever you do, do it as though you're working for God and not for men. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that's only limited to work. You know, that's being a father, which I have two sons. That's right. being a husband. I'm married. That's being, a you know, um, a citizen of my of my town or, or wherever, or, or pitching in at my church when we can. And, and, and so... Um, I, I guess for me, I, I I cannot really separate what my faith calls me for, and 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 what I do on a daily basis. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I'm perfect because we all know we're not, right. and, and I still make mistakes. I probably made mistakes today, but you know the fact is. Oh, I, I, I can do better than that. Working. I can do better than that. I've actually sinned today, so. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I have, you know, right. and, and, and yet, um, you know, I've, I've asked for forgiveness today. I've prayed a few times today, you know, knowing that we were going to talk today and just to make sure that, that God was going to be with me and, and give me the words that, you know, and, and help me get through any tough questions that I might have. So. Well, there you go. Well, thanks for coming on our radio program. All right. So that was the balance of the interview. Okay. Starting off with the question, well, if the whole thing fails, then is it really from God? You know, he believes it is, okay? And what's funny is, is that the reason I was having problems finding uh, this, the information I was looking for is because their website's been changed. There, there'd be some editing going on. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at the current version of the About page at the onemillionforjesuschrist.com website. And it's different, okay? But uh, thankfully, I had saved a copy of their of the original so that we can discuss this thing. So here's what was originally posted. It's not there anymore. I might have to actually take a screenshot of this just to like maybe put it up at Fighting for the Faith as evidence. You know, hey, uh, Jim, you changed your website, and maybe that's a good thing. Actually, that that actually might show some maturity on his part. I appreciate that. This is what he originally said. He says, an idea inspired by God, 1M4JC, came about out of the blue. It came to me not as a voice, but rather as an idea inspired by God himself. 
Right then and there, I knew that one M4JC could change the world one t-shirt at a time. My mind raced as I thought when people wear the one M4JC t-shirt, they'll tell the world I'm one of the millions who believe in Jesus. Uh, well, if somebody takes a close look at the design, they could probably figure out that that's some kind of a Christian thing, but it's really not that easy to divine for just by glancing at the shirt. Um, I envisioned 1M4JC as a way for strangers to connect with each other. This shirt allows Christians to share their faith, share the gospel, and speak of eternal hope. God challenged me. See, there we go again. Flippantly talking like God's giving you direct revelation. God challenged me to give back 10% of the sales to him. 10% of a million or more t-shirts would be a huge financial impact for many Christian ministries. Then reality hit. I was left wondering, what do I do with this divine idea. Does God really want me to do this? Well, where in the Bible does it say that God wants you to sell these t-shirts? God provided reassurances. Next week, I told my good friend and eventual business partner, Rob, about the idea after church. I just simply said, what if I told you about a Christian business idea that that called for selling one million t-shirts? So the one million number is part of the vision, Okay. And I don't think it's unfair of me to say that. The one million number is part of the vision that he apparently got and was inspired by God. So if he doesn't hit the million goal, then I don't think that that, that counts as, as really coming from God. If God is going to tell you, go and sell a million t-shirts, he's going to give you the ability to sell a million t-shirts. Just like if he tells you that McCain and Palin are going to win the presidency, then guess who would win the presidency? Uh, McCain and Palin, not Obama and Biden. <clears throat> anyway, so he says, I could tell that it, he wasn't sure if he should take me serious or, seriously or not. Later, when I divulged the complete 1M4JC idea to Rob, he too was captured by the concept. A perception beyond both of us knew this could really work. Subjective, again, a subjective uh, way of knowing truth. There was something in the air. I felt it, you know. You know, I, I joke about this, but, you know, the Mormons use the exact same concept. How does a Mormon know the Book of Mormon is true? Despite the fact that there is not one shred of archaeological evidence to support any of the claims, the outrageous claims in the Book of Mormon. I mean, it's clear that the Book of Mormon is just fraught with historical, archaeological, scientific error. Okay, but they don't ask you to go and look at the evidence, to go and talk to talk to an archaeologist or talk to somebody who does work down in South America and or anything like that, because that's where the story supposedly took place in the Book of Mormon. Um, they instead tell you to while you're reading about it, pray that God would give you a sign in your heart that it's true and then you'll know it's true. Right. So the way you know that the Book of Mormon is true is that you prayed that God would show you, and then what happens is you receive a burning in your bosom. Okay, again, Pepsid makes these things go away. But I was studying with the Mormons one time, and you know, and you know, this is—I was a younger guy, had a lot more time on my hands, <laughs> was in college, and um, they, you know, they came to our door and they, you know, they wanted to share this their their stuff with me, and they offered to gave, they gave me a free copy of the Book of Mormon on the condition that I would actually read it. I said, you know what, I'll read it, I'll read it, but it's going to take me a couple weeks because my studies right now are pretty heavy. So we planned, we made an appointment for them to come back two weeks later, and somehow I kind of wedged in reading the Book of Mormon, you know, with all the other stuff I was doing, and man, is that a boring book. Good night. Ugh. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it came to pass, 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 and it was boring. And anyway, so when they came back a couple weeks later, the first thing that was right on their agenda was, uh, did you read the book? Yeah, I read the book. How did it make you feel? And I looked at them and I said, you know what's really funny? Every single time I would open the Book of Mormon, I would get the feeling that there was evil demonic evil in the room the the light would darken in the room and i would get this really chilly cold feeling that made me feel terrible and then and the funny thing is that whenever i would close the book of mormon the, the feeling would go away no kidding the mormon missionary looked at me and says you you weren't reading it right <laughs> and i basically said to him well your subjective experience and my subjective experience cancels each other out. I guess we'll have to look at the objective evidence. And we studied with him for like six, seven weeks. You know, eventually their bishop yanked him out of there because the, the evidence wasn't going so well for the whole Book of Mormon thing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a, a, another break, and I, we're going to continue talking about this topic when we get back. So if you would like to email me and uh, would like to let me know how God speaks to you directly... Um, please email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. Alright, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and I am Chris Roseborough. We're in the middle of uh, discussing the uh, thing that we would call subjective epistemology. What's an epistemology? It sounds painful, doesn't it? Basically, it has to do with how do you know what you know what you know. That's really what epistemology is all about. Um, and see, the problem is, is that too many Christians are completely relying on subjective epistemologies. 
I get direct revelation from God. Well, how do you know that you got direct revelation from God? Because I have faith that I did. Uh, your faith's in the wrong place then. Um, anyway, so d- d- just kind of as an update, I exchanged a cup. I exchanged an email with uh, with uh, Jim after the uh, we played yesterday's interview, and he, you know, he had emailed me and wanted to clarify a couple of things. Now I, I'm not sure if he wants me to read his email on the air, so I'll just read to you my response to some of the things that I said to him. Um, talking about the effectiveness of T-shirts in evangelism. Okay. What I told him is it says, I admit that I am highly skeptical of its effectiveness. Of that, that, that would be the effectiveness of using T-shirts when it comes to evangelism. I think that if you were to interview new Christians about the, what things were most important in their repentance of their sins and trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all of their sins, they would very likely say things like, the love shown to them by a, a, a fellow, a, a, another Christian, or an invitation to, to attend church or a Bible study, or someone clearly sharing the gospel with them, or someone taking the time to explain the Christian faith and answer questions and objections that they might have. I think Christian T-shirts, bumper stickers, and witness wear would fall very, very low on the list if it even made the list at all. Now, that doesn't mean that some people might not actually be drawn to ask a question of a Christian because of a Christian message on a T-shirt. But I'm a marketer by trade, so I understand the importance of marketing. And and personally, I heavily utilize marketing to promote pirate Christian radio. Okay, so that's now this is where it gets interesting because, you know, I'm a marketer. I came up in the corporate world through the sales and marketing ranks. In other words, I'm really not qualified to be a CEO of anything. (laughs) I'm a marketer. So I use marketing to promote Pirate Christian Radio. So, um, in fact, my my vehicle is an example of my uh, marketing. But um, I think there's a fundamental difference between marketing a radio station and marketing the gospel. I heavily market our radio station because I know that people will hear the gospel and be fed God's word when they come and tune into Pirate Christian Radio. However, when we market or try to market Jesus or the gospel, far too often we end up cheapening Jesus and or and or we come off uh, as really, really corny. You know, you want an example of what corniness looks like when it comes to Christian Christians trying to market the gospel? Just go to the Museum of Idolatry and look at the Jesus junk wing. Good night. OK, so um, now I told I told our, our good friend Jim that I that I think that um, I appreciate his heart for evangelism and for reaching the lost, and I think that his t that the, his t shirts gave him an, a a great reason to get into the battle and take a position on the front lines as a soldier for Christ. So I got to give him kudos for that. However, the reality is is that he could have done that even without the t shirt, and my hope would be and my hope and prayer would be that he would stay in the fight and stay on the front lines even if his business idea flops. Okay, so now as for inspiration for the T-shirts being directly inspired by God, this is where um, Jim and I are significantly different. As I've said, I'm very, very, very cautious about those claiming to receive direct revelation from God. Can you say Cindy DeVille? No relation to Cruella, by the way. Okay, I'm not saying God can't and doesn't do that, but I've I've seen far too much damage and mischief done to the body of Christ by those who've supposedly received direct downloads from God. 
The fundamental problem is that people are looking inside of themselves subjectively to try to figure out if God is speaking to them, and far too many times that alone takes their eyes and ears off of the one sure uh, down uh, place that we know that God is speaking and has spoken to us, which is his word. This subjective inward focus leaves people yearning for the latest download, and the danger here is that if they don't get another download, or worse, a download that they thought was from God didn't pan out, that person can feel abandoned or betrayed by God and end up despairing and leaving the faith. Now, in the case of Cindy DeVille, and no relation to Cruella, by the way, in the case of uh, the folks there at Shekinah today, what they did, that false prophecy, it didn't just affect them. Imagine the damage that that's having to the people who trusted them and believed that they were receiving special revelations from God. It is not too hard to speculate that there are some people who are having a crisis of faith today. Okay? Somebody they trusted and believed was, re- was receiving direct downloads from God turns out to be a charlatan. That is the kind of damage that will cause somebody to walk away from Christianity. So, the focus of our faith is supposed to be Jesus Christ and his perfect life and atoning death for our sins. I fear, Jim, that your faith may have been tweaked and your focus switched from Jesus to your download. Even worse, I fear that if your business fails, and 90% of them do, that it will cause you to have a crisis of faith and cause you to question God's love for you, or even worse, question his very existence. I've been a Christian for my entire life. I've seen this scenario play out in far too many people's lives. The culprit in this demonic crime is always a Christian who has a subjective approach to their calling or believes that they receive direct revelation from God subjectively, rather than being solidly grounded in the objective, unchanging, undeniable word of God. So those are some of the words that I shared with Jim. So um, is one million for JC um, inspired by God? I'll be blunt. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. How can you prove that it is? And how can you prove that it isn't? Maybe if they sell a million t-shirts miraculously that we can say maybe God was behind it. But the reality is, is that throughout Christian history, God has called people to evangelize. And that means he equips them and sends them out to share the gospel. And I don't think T-shirt evangelism is is effective. And my my fear is is that it it puts this mentality in people that I'm evangelizing if I'm wearing a T-shirt. No, you're not. You're really not evangelizing unless you're out there sharing the gospel with people. That requires you to open your mouth and be a herald of the gospel of the truth. And, you know, we Christians are always looking for slick little marketing hooks and things like that for the gospel. No, the gospel doesn't need that. The gospel needs people who will faithfully read the Bible, understand what God's word teaches and confesses, take the time to learn how to answer objections from non-believers, and get out there and preach it and teach it and proclaim it. God will call people through it. But... So I highly doubt, I highly doubt 
that one million for Jesus Christ was actually inspired by God. Despite the fact that Jim is a nice guy and despite the fact that he's well-meaning and he has good intentions, the Mormons have good intentions too. And maybe Cindy DeVille, no relation to Cruella, by the way, um, had good intentions from Shekinah today. I don't know her. The point is, is that we Christians have gotten far too subjective. Get your head out of your belly button. Stop looking inside yourself for the truth. The truth is in the pages of Scripture. There you have a sure and certain word from the one true God. Why would I want to trade something sure and certain for something that is anything less? Anyway, there's my rant for the day. <laughs> well, we, we, you know, we have a few more minutes. I, I have a... Have I ever done anything from Carrie Shook? Yeah, I'm getting old and I'm forgetting what uh, Carrie Shook. He's got a um, he's a he's one of these guys who's high up in the whole purpose driven movement, and uh, he's got a, a church out there in in the woodlands down in the Houston area, Houston, Texas. That is, and it's called the Church of the Woodlands, and. Uh, uh, Example of just something that's off, but uh, you know, this is this kind of comes back to our our new ninety five theses. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll play a little bit uh, from Carrie Shook, and I want you to hear this. This is from a sermon series called Seekonomics. Seekonomics. Not sure what that is, but uh, let's let's listen to Carrie Shook here. Okay, hang on a second here. And that. Have you ever had one of those moments where the light bulb just goes on in your head? Maybe you get an idea that illuminates a confusing situation. Or maybe you see the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to a problem you've been facing. Or maybe it's one of those light bulb moments where you realize you've been making some really dumb decisions and you sort of wake up and smell the coffee and start changing. Now, this is a normal 120 volt large light bulb. So, it's just a regular light bulb, but our technical team has hooked up this apparatus that sends 30,000 volts through it, and they've asked me if I would just kind of plug this in and see what would happen, so that's what we're going to do here. Um, you can't see it. And that's what happens. It looks like it's, it looks like one of those plasma balls, you know, one of those Tesla plasma balls, you know. To a normal light bulb when it has 30,000 volts going through it. And guys, it kind of shocks you, to be honest. Um, and it feels really hot. And really hot, in fact. But it's pretty cool, isn't it? It's so hot, it's cool. Yeah. But it reminds me a lot of the light bulb moments that usually cause me to change. Because we rarely change when we see the light, but we change when we feel the heat. Wall Street and the... Uh, you know what we really need? We need pastors who will actually preach God's word. <laughs> oh, Carrie, so relevant and yet missing the mark. Okay, we continue. The financial markets have been feeling the heat and they're making some changes. Now, what amazes me is these people are supposed to be the brightest bulbs in the bunch when it comes to finances 
But they make such dumb decisions. Uh, it's called greed, uh, Carrie. It's called greed. It's 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 actually a self-focused, sinful thing. But I'm afraid when it comes to finances, we can all make dumb decisions. Oh, it's a finance sermon. Seek onomics. Uh, see, you know, having taken some economic courses my freshman year, of course, I was really young. You know, just fresh out of high school. Pretty stupid, too. I don't know if that's really changed. <sighs> so we're in a series that I'm calling Seekonomics because in God's economy, he says, if you'll seek me first, I'll give you peace and provision in uncertain times. What? If you seek me first, I'll give you peace and provision in uncertain times. I think that's an allusion to the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, talking about the thing, you know, the, you know God cares about birds and, and, and grass and things like that. Um, hmm. And there's a lot of uncertainty out there. So today I want to shed some light on how to overcome financial fears and anxiety. <sighs> okay, that's seek ye first passage. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. By the way, that is only accomplished through faith. That is accomplished through the law. Okay? The law, the, the law that saves us is not the law of works. It's the law of faith. Trusting in Christ. Through Christ we are made righteous. Through Christ's righteousness. You know, and so when we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we're seeking God's righteousness, which is Christ's righteousness. And God provides us with what we need. But um, so at this point, this is a sermon specifically about financial times that are not so good. Need some peace? Is your 401k taking it in the shorts? Are you feeling that you're going to have to sell your second vacation home? And I have to only go with one vacation home rather than two. Are you going to downsize your business? Are you, are you going to have to make a sacrifice and get rid of that Beamer and trade it in for a Volvo instead? These In these unsure financial times. Ugh. But God's word is certain. And we're going to look at his economic principles today because he says, I'll meet your needs. And more importantly, I'll give you the things money can't buy. Seekonomic principles. Now, I, I said one of the things I was going to have to do was pull up that, that uh, new 95 theses. By the way, if you want to get a copy of the new 95 theses, and see, these are important things, uh, then if you subscribe to our podcast via iTunes, okay, then you'll actually see the new 95 theses as a PDF file that, that will download directly into, into, uh, into iTunes. And then you just double-click on it on the PDF, and it'll launch your uh, copy of Adobe Acrobat. But um, <clears throat> let me read some of these new 95 theses to you because the, I think these are absolutely right. I'm adopting them, and I'm going to continue to hammer on them because they need to be hammered on. And th these new 95 theses were written against the purpose-driven seeker-sensitive movement for very good reason. Uh, impious and wicked are the method of, uh, methods of those who substitute self-help and pop psychology for the gospel in the name of relevance. That's number four. This impious disregard for the gospel wickedly transforms sacred scripture into a guidebook for a living, a pharisaical source book of principles that sows tares among the wheat. just want to let you know I have absolutely a big problem with people treating God's word as some kind of you dig and strip mine it 
for biblical principles, in this particular case, principles that will give you peace in uncertain financial times. Peace of mind, purpose, fulfillment, meaning. You see, God wants to bless you with those things that are most important so that you can be a blessing. And so he wants us to be a conduit of his blessing. Pastor Stan, come up here and bring me these fluorescent lights. Okay? All right. I'll have this light. So oh, let's, wow. This is just like a science experiment. Let's see if there really is electricity going through me when I touch this. Pretty amazing, huh? Wow. Pretty scary to me. So he's holding the fluorescent light bulb in one hand, and he's touching that Tesla plasma bulb in the other. And the, guess what? The fluorescent light has just lit it up. Yeah, it, it looks like a lightsaber. You know, he's, he's a Padawan learner from the Jedi Order. Me. Because I actually am feeling a little bit of shock here, guys. All right. That's pretty cool, though, isn't it? How, and that's the way God wants you to be when it comes to his blessings. You're blessed to be a blessing. He blesses you so you can be a conduit of his blessings. Now, Stan, come over here, and I want you to join me in this task so we may both go down together. So, Now, what I want you to do is I'm placing my hand on the bulb. I feel like Bill Nye, the science guy. But I'm placing my hand on the bulb here. I want you to... Take hold of this fluorescent bulb and see what happens to you, okay? <laughs> what hand do you not use the most? Okay, I'll use that. <laughs> All right. There, it gets brighter. Okay, that means that electricity is flowing through you right now. Now, hold that other one out. Just hold it out. Okay, now it means something inside you is blocking the electricity right now. I'm not sure what that is. But, but maybe we can be a circuit. Come back around here and just touch it, the bulb to this bulb here and see what happens. Okay. Pretty cool. Now it's flowing through you and flowing through me and we're still alive. That's good. Now, this is a nice little object lesson for pop psychology, self-help, financial peace of mind in uncertain times. Um, so far, no word of God. Pretty nifty, huh? Hey, try this. Just put put the fluorescent bulb against mine right there. Yeah. Sweet. Star Wars. <laughs> zoom, zoom. Stan, I am your father. Zoom. 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 All right. Jesus said, do not worry. It's my prayer. The light bulb will go off in all of our heads. So we'll realize today that we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. If we follow God's economic principles and put him first in our lives, he says, I'll meet your needs and I'll give you things. Uh, now, wait a second. That's an important thing. He's saying, you put God first in your life and you don't have to worry about things. That's not what the passage says. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's actually fundamentally different than what he just said, which is put God first in your life. As if God is somehow just, just make sure that God's at the top of your priority list. You know, let's see, we've got God, I've got my family, I've got my work. Just got to make sure your priorities are, and God's on the top. No, that's not what it says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That money can't buy things like peace of mind. You see, God wants every one of us to live in what I call the blessed zone. But there are really two. What? God wants you to live in the blessed zone? Is that right next to the auto zone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, apparently McCain wasn't living in the blessed zone, even though Cindy DeVille, no relation to Cruella, by the way. Um, 
<laughs> said that he, never mind. Zones in life, and you're going to live in one of these zones. There's the stress zone. <laughs> this is a place of anxiety and fear. It's a place of no margin in your schedule and your finances and your life. And then I could just, I need to repent of living in the stress zone. <laughs> it's the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not live in the stress zone. Thus saith the Lord. Many times we live in the stress zone. I know many times I live in the stress zone. You know, Americans are just so ridiculously petty. This is stupid. I'm serious. Give me a break. Oh, <laughs> Pastor Chick, you totally convicted me. I was, I, before I listened to this sermon, I lived in the stress zone and I didn't live in the blessing zone. <laughs> Come on. Self-focused, self-absorbed, completely overly rich, bored out of their mind, not having anything really productive to do, Americans who are so self-absorbed, they have to, am I living in the stress zone? <laughs> Repent. You are a wicked sinner. Repent. But God wants us, and it's his will for us to live in the blessed zone. Oh. And it's in the blessed zone where we have peace in the middle of uncertain times. We have provision no matter what the economic news looks like. You know, there was a lot of Christians, a lot of God-fearing Christians who uh, lost their homes, their houses, their cars, their, their money, had their accounts wiped out during the Depression. They went from the blessed zone to the stressed zone. I wonder if God didn't love them. We have God's peace. God Maybe it's because they didn't they didn't trust enough. Maybe they just didn't have enough faith. Maybe they weren't obedient enough. They just weren't applying the proper principles. Yeah, exactly. God's provision, God's purpose in our lives, and God wants us to live in the blessed zone. But too many times we live in the stress zone, and, and I find we go back and forth. Sometimes I'm living in that blessed zone with God's peace, knowing that He's meeting my needs knowing that he's taking care of me, knowing that I can trust him. But then sometimes I move back into the stress zone, this place of anxiety and fear and no margin. But God wants us to constantly live in the blessed zone. So how do we do that? Well, we have to sort of flip the switch first in our minds. Oh, it's just about flipping a switch in your mind. Can you show me where the switch is? Is it made out of that gray matter? You know, is it like a button? And we have to change our thoughts. And so we're going to study this whole passage that Jesus talks about where he says you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to fear, you don't have to have anxiety in your life. But it has to be first a change of mind. I've got to flip the switch on my thoughts so that I can change my beliefs. Ah, this is Rick Warren's uh, definition of repentance, by the way. This is Rick Warren's definition in, in action. I've got to flip the switch on my beliefs and I've got to take my thoughts and move them from my head into my heart and really believe what Christ is saying here. And then I've got to turn them into actions. Because a lot of people say they believe certain things, but they don't live it out. Yeah, kind of like uh, you believe certain things are sins and you still commit them. Maybe that's why you don't live in the blessed zone. See, this is a misapplication, a complete misunderstanding of law and gospel to begin with. 
But, uh, all right, we continue. Do you want to learn how to live in the blessed zone? See, that's what Jesus was all, was all about, man. Jesus came so that you can live in the blessed zone, not the stressed zone. He wants you to be a victor instead of a victim. You follow the yellow brick road. That's all you got to do, man. And, you know, take your thoughts, change your thoughts and beliefs and then and change your actions. And you can go to being in the stress zone to the blessed zone. See, and God's going to give provision in the blessed zone. You know, and I guess the better you do with this thoughts, beliefs, action thing, the more blessed the provision gets. I mean, that only makes sense. You know, we say my health is important. But do we eat right and exercise? We say family comes first, but many times work comes before our family. We say God is first place in my life, but many times we don't spend time with him before we leave out to go into our day. And he comes last and he gets the leftovers. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we have to change the way we think, which changes the way we believe, which changes our actions. And that's the only way you move from the stress zone to the blessed zone. Nothing about faith there. Nothing about trusting in Christ. And the, the passage from the, the New Testament, from the Sermon on the Mount, is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not putting God first in a list of priorities. Again, it's fundamentally different, but I, I can't wait to hear what he's going to do with this. Living out these actions that are talked about in God's economic principles. Now, see that guy in the audience, he's overweight. You know, I hope he I, I hope he gets on a treadmill after hearing this sermon. I mean, otherwise, he's not going to get in the blessed zone. He's going to get the heart attack zone. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Okay, so he's now reading from the Sermon on the Mount. Notice he's not reading it in context, and he's not reading the whole thing. I got a problem with that. Okay, if you're going to do the Sermon on the Mount, preach the Sermon on the Mount so that you can hear and understand what it is that Christ was really, truly saying. What he's doing is he's lifting out the little section in there about (laughs) stress and worry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the life of Brian. (sighs) So Jesus is saying most of the things we worry about are the wrong things. We worry about external things when we should be concerned about eternal things. Most of the things we worry about won't last, so don't worry about them. All the material possessions that we worry about aren't going to be here forever. It amazes me, though, that some of the smartest people in the world act like their material things are going to be here forever. And they act like they're going to be here on this earth forever. But they're just temporary. My kids used to love building sandcastles on the beach when they were little. And they'd really get into it. And they would spend a lot of time. They'd work really hard. They'd build all these tunnels. And, and they'd make just a real intricate castle. And many times they built huge sandcastles on the beach. And they loved it. But then the tide would roll in and it would wash it all away. But it was no big deal to them. They didn't sweat it. In fact, many times they would join the waves in destroying the sandcastle and they'd have a lot of fun in doing that. Now, they enjoyed building the sandcastle. They really got into it. It made them fulfilled in a way and getting to accomplish something. But when it got destroyed, they didn't worry about it. Why? Because they knew it was temporary. But I'm afraid many of us as adults are still building sandcastles on the beach. They're more complex sandcastles. They're bigger sandcastles. They're nicer sandcastles. It may be the sandcastle of a big bank account. 
It may be the sandcastle of a nice house. But see, you're talking about the blessed zone and the provision of God. So having a big bank account makes perfect sense. I mean, I wouldn't want my bank account to get any smaller. Otherwise, I would get into the stress zone. <sighs> yeah, here's the deal. I'm just kind of looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's reading from really the tail end of Matthew chapter 6. The Sermon on the Mount begins in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. There's some really good stuff in here. Okay? Really, really good stuff. And it, if you really want to know what Jesus was saying... Read the whole sermon. Now, I don't have time to do it today. I wish I did because it'd be definitely worth doing. But it begins with the Beatitudes. Um, Jesus, you know, after that says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Great messianic promise there. What is Jesus here to do? He's here to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that's great news because what what is it that by faith we receive? We receive Christ's righteousness. Here Christ is saying he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He's had, It's his perfect life that's given to us as a gift, as if we've lived it. So that whole concept about not seeking first, you know, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is seeking Christ and his righteousness, his perfect fulfilling of the law. Uh, you know, talking about how heaven and earth will pass away, but the law will not pass away. And how, and then talking about whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments and teach, teaches others to do the same will be least in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, great stuff. He talks about, you've said, don't murder. And, um, and he says, but if you, you know, say Raka to your brother, you've murdered him. He says, don't commit adultery. But if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Um, talking about divorce and then uh jesus says in uh, matthew five thirty three again you've heard it said of, of old you shall bear false witness or uh, or but shall perform to the lord what you have sworn you swear falsely but i say to you do not take an oath so there's this whole section there about taking oaths um there there's a whole th- section here about uh an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and jesus is saying to turn the other cheek and, you know, and going the extra mile with somebody, if they force you to go a mile, he says, go two. I mean, this this is profound stuff, a profound picture of what the Christian life looks like as one who seeks and trusts after God. Um, yeah, so, you know, talking about not, you know, making everybody know that, you know, when you've given to the needy, being obnoxious and letting everyone know what you've done because then you've received your reward and talks about hypocrites. I mean, this he, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, okay? Um, I mean, there's amazing stuff in here, and he's just strip-mined all of that. That's gone away as dirt. Why? Because people right now are feeling uncertain in these uncertain financial times. It's so terrible. So what are we going to do? We're going to strip. We're going to just blow all that other stuff away and just focus in on this tiny little section of the Sermon on the Mount that says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink and about your body. What you put on is not life more than the body and uh, more than clothing, more than food and clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Notice even here in this section of of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, he's not telling people to put God first. He's telling people to trust God, to put their faith in God. 
That's the point. It's not about some hierarchy of priorities or, or doing particular things and getting these principles in the right order. It's about trusting and having faith in Christ. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And, and, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Christ is making an appeal here not for works of the law or obedience via biblical principle. He's making an appeal for faith and trust in God. The goal of the Sermon on the Mount is faith, not application of biblical principles. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What will we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Trust Him. Trust Him. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. That's completely different. Substantively different than what Kerry Shook is saying. He's taken this out of context and said, apply these principles and you go into the blessed zone. Christ is making appeal for people to put their trust in him, put their trust in God. To have faith. Oh, you of little faith. The purpose of that little part of the Sermon on the Mount has to do with faith. It may be the sandcastle of success and achievement in a career. And as we build these sandcastles, we better understand one day the tide of time will roll in and wash it all away. It's not going to last. And I'm afraid that many of us won't be like a little kid on the beach, excited about it when the tide comes in. It's no big deal. I think many of us will be devastated because we put everything we are into these material things. You know, it sounds like it's it sounds like what he's preaching is from the Sermon on the Mount, but it's not. It's really not. Christ was showing the foolishness of their thinking because they were trusting in that something other than Christ, other than God. Now, it's okay to have some sandcastles. Jesus in this passage says, I know that you need some sandcastles. You need a sandcastle to live in. You need a sandcastle to drive. You need some sandcastle of money to live on. I know you need some. No, that's not what the passage says at all. He says, trust in God and God will take care of your needs. Needs are not sandcastles. The birds of the air need food in order to survive, yet God feeds them. Sandcastles, but don't get too attached because one day the tide of time will roll in and will wash it all away. It's temporary. I'm discovering the things that look permanent are things that don't last. It's the things you can't see. Faith, hope, love, the souls of men and women that will last forever. But we put everything into these things that don't last. And Jesus is saying, you've got to flip the switch mentally and move from external thinking to eternal thinking. No, he says to move from no faith to faith, to not trusting God and, and being anxious because you don't know what's going to happen to trusting in God, knowing that he by faith will take care of you, seeking after his righteousness and tr knowing that God is worth putting your faith into. It's not what Jesus was saying, according to Carrie Shook. He's got something completely different.
and spend time on things that are going to last forever. So why do you worry about all these things when your car gets a ding in it? Don't worry about it. It's not going to last. It's temporary. That's not the point of Jesus' sermon. All the things you see are just temporary. It's the things you can't see that last forever. Several years ago, Chris and I just began really trying to flip the switch on our minds and our mindset to move from an ownership mentality to the stewardship mentality. And we just said, God, our car is yours. God, our house is yours. Use it for your glory. God, all our possessions are yours. And it's wonderful when you start changing your mentality because it takes a lot of stress out of your life. Your car breaks down. Who is he preaching about? Himself. He's holding himself up as an example. God, you got a problem. Your car broke down. What are you going to do about that, God? (laughs) It just changes your mentality. And we're still working on it, but it's really been our mentality. For the last eight years, uh, we've had uh, student Bible studies at our house. And we just had hundreds and hundreds of teenagers come through our house. And we love that. And almost every Friday and Saturday night, last night was no exception, we have between... Eight and 30 teenagers spend the night at our house. And it's just awesome when you're trying to prepare for a message with all those teenagers staying up all night. (laughs) Hey, our house has taken a beating over the last eight years. But it's great. It's not our house. It's God's house. And that's what it's for. It's no big deal. Several years ago, we had a ninth grade boys group over. And I'll never forget, after the Bible study, they went upstairs, started playing. And I heard this huge boom. And I ran upstairs and they were all looking real sheepish. And they said... Pastor Kerry, we were wrestling and accidentally threw him into the wall and his rear went through the wall. And there was this giant rear end print in the sheetrock. And, and I said, God, you know, your, your wall's got a rear end print in it right now. I don't know what you want to do about that. Several years ago, I bought a basketball goal and, and took it out, unloaded it, put it together right in our uh, front drive. And you know, this has the pace of a like a stand-up comedy routine, but it's really not even funny. Um, and what does this have to do with the passage? And I was going to move it later on back to the back, fill the base up with water to stabilize it. But before I had a chance, one of my kids came out, started shooting baskets. And sure enough, it fell over and boom, just smashed the top of my car in a huge dent. And he came in to get me and he said, Dad, you kind of need to look at this. And I walked outside and you'd be proud of your pastor because my first reaction, well, my second reaction, it was my like the first reaction we won't get into, but it, it used to be the third or fourth, but it was pretty quick after getting a little upset. I, I said, God, one of your kids put a dent in one of your cars. It's your, your deal. And that mentality that Chris and I've had, and sometimes we switch back to ownership and hold on tight, but we keep letting go, keep letting go and keep letting go. And when you realize you don't own anything. You just have it for a few short years and then you give it to your kids to fight over. So it's not really yours. You don't all this stuff that we spend so much time taking care of, protecting, fretting about, worrying about, insuring. It's not going to last. It's not going to be here forever. And so we better move from an ownership mentality to a stewardship mentality. God says, use it for my glory. Enjoy it. So the way to get to the blessed zone is just... Just say, I don't own this stuff anyway. See, I'm now blessed. It's just a matter of change of perception. But that was not the point that Jesus was making in the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't a matter of perception. It was a matter of trust. It was a matter of faith. That's why he says, why do you have such little faith?
purpose of that section regarding anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount is to show people the sin of their unbelief and their lack of trust in God and to show that God is worthy of their trust and worthy of their faith and that he cares and loves for loves them and can be trusted when it comes to being the object of their faith. Christ was making an appeal for faith, not for a change in mind from ownership to stewardship. But it's not yours. And that reduces the worry right away when you flip the switch mentally. Well, let's look at verse 26. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is saying, birds don't worry. Animals don't worry. There's only one thing in all of God's creation that worries. Human beings. No, he was making the point that God cares for them to put your faith in God. That was the point. Are we reading the same passage? All of God's creation trusts him, except for mankind. Ah, now we got it. Thank you, Carrie. Trust is the issue here. Worry is unnatural and it's unnecessary. No, it's from sin. It's, it's a natural thing for sinners to do. Jesus says, why do you worry so much? I take care of the little birds. I'll take care of you. And I love the question there at the end of that verse. Are you not much more valuable than they? We worry about our finances because we don't understand how valuable we are to God. God says, you're so valuable to me. I sent my only son to die an excruciatingly painful death on a cross so you could be with me in heaven one day. And yet you're worried that I'll take that I'm not going to take care of you here on this earth. Good metaphor. Nice to hear the little cross talk there. Good. Don't you get it? You're so valuable to me. How do you know what something is worth? How do you determine the value of an item? Well, something is worth whatever someone else is willing to pay for it. Something's worth whatever someone else is willing to pay for it. You can say, my house costs this much, my house is valued at this much, but your house is only worth whatever someone else is willing to pay for it. And a lot of people around the country are finding that out right now. So how much are you worth? The God of the universe paid his life for you. Right on. I can say amen to that. Good, 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 good. Okay. This really should be the center and the substance of this message. This is, by the way, what we call an aside. When I'm teaching Sunday school, this I call this a bunny trail. This isn't the main topic of his sermon, but it's something that he decided to go down the path of. Thank God we actually got to hear the gospel from Carrie Shook. Congratulations, Carrie. Good job. I knew you purpose-driven guys could do it. I'm sorry that it's an aside, but hey, we'll take it in any form. Okay, who does this apply to, though, Carrie? That's how much you're worth. The issue of your self-worth has been settled on the cross. Uh, the issue of your self-worth. Man, I heard the gospel. He was doing so well, and then he fell on his face. No, it's not the issue of your self-worth. Uh, <laughs> uh. And your self-worth has nothing to do with your net worth. And we get those two confused all the time. See, that's the problem. When, when the cross isn't the central message, then what happens is, is that he has to segue back. And so, you know, it's almost like it's like that word, but, you know, it, but undoes everything before it. Uh, Christ died on the cross for your self-worth. You didn't know that? 
don't you feel like yourself is worth a lot now? Yeah, it was for sins. Yeah. He paid the penalty for your sins. By the way, John, I don't know if you know this. You're a sinner. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm good with that if you're good with it. Me, me too. And from what I understand from Scripture, Christ died for our sins, right? Propitiated God's wrath. Um, And, uh, man, he was doing so well. God says your self-worth was settled on the cross. I think you're so valuable. I think you're worth dying for. That's how valuable you are. And Jesus was saying in this verse, the reason why you worry so much about your finances is because you don't know how valuable you are to me. I died so that you could be with me in heaven. For See, again, Carrie, that really wasn't the point of what Jesus' illustration was there. Um, but I beat that horse to death, haven't I? Forever, don't you think? I'm going to go out of my way to meet your needs here on this earth. Yes. Look at verse 27. Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? This is sort of the duh verse of the whole passage here. He was saying, worry doesn't add one second to your life. Worry doesn't work. Worrying about your finances doesn't help. It doesn't work. It's a waste of time. It's worthless. But researchers say that anxiety is often associated with intelligence. That is, people who are prone to worry tend to be more intelligent than average. That's my problem. I'm just not dumb enough not to worry. <sighs> so some of you who aren't worried at all right now in this economic situation, it might not be because you're so spiritually mature like you think you are. It could just be your pretty dim bulb. I don't know. But the reality is worrying is about the dumbest thing you can do. But some of the smartest people do it. And it doesn't help. It just makes matters worse. So stop worrying and do something about your finances. Because most people are in the dark when it comes to their finances. And there's so many biblical principles that will help you not worry about your finances if you start implementing them. If you spend as much time really focused on the biblical principles of finances and working on your finances as you do worrying about them, it'll change everything. Ah, we're back on to the main message here. Apply biblical principles and you won't be stressed. Thanks, Jesus, for making a cameo appearance in uh, Carrie Shook's sermon. I kind of bummed out that the cameo appearance really just had to do with me finding out how valuable I am so that I have a good self-worth and self-image. Yeah, the Bible, that holy accounting book. Yeah. Some of the biblical principles are keeping good records. That's know what you owe, what you own, what you earn, and where it goes. Most people are in the dark when it comes to keeping good records and, and knowing about their finances. And then budgeting. Budgeting is crucial. It's a principle all throughout Scripture. And it's all about knowing where your money goes and telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where it all went. You, you're kidding me, right? All throughout Scripture. Yeah, all throughout Scripture, budgeting. Can folks, can any of you send me a budget verse, please? I, I'd like I, I'm sure there's something in the Proverbs somewhere about budgeting. Ay, ay, ay. Well, let's move on. Verse 28, Jesus said, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Underline that last phrase, O oh, you of little faith. 
because really it comes down to a trust issue. All right. I'm, I'm standing up here and paying attention. Trust. I we're in agreement, Carrie. This is a trust issue. That the whole point of all of these things was about a trust issue. But remember, you're preaching about b- applying biblical principles. What does that have to do with trust? Our loving Heavenly Father says, if you'll follow my economic principles, I will meet your needs. No! No! No, he doesn't! Oh, Carrie, 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 Carrie. Oh, man. No, I don't see that verse. So faith is about applying God's economic principles and then God will meet your needs. No, Faith is about trusting in Christ. The birds. Yeah. How, how many economic principles did the birds apply? And see, that's the thing. God wants to supply your needs the same way He supplies the needs of the birds. Trust Him. Trust and repent of your wickedness and your sin and your self-sufficiency and your and all of the rebellion in your heart, and trust in Christ. Stop making an idol of these things. Love God. Repent. Believe the gospel. (laughs) So the real question is, is God a liar or is he trustworthy? Whenever I worry about my finances, I'm calling God a liar. He says, I will meet your needs, not your greeds, but your needs. This guy is absolutely studied at the feet of Rick Warren. He's got that same little thing going, meet your needs, not your greeds. (sighs) And I will see you through if you follow my principles. And whenever I... If you follow my principles, I will see you through. That, folks, is law. Conditioned-based law. Christ is not preaching law here. He's preaching faith. Mm. Worry. I'm basically saying, God, I don't believe what you're saying is true. I'm calling God a liar to his face. It's really a trust issue. So this is where I flip the switch. (sighs) No, you're making it into an obedience issue. Don't you understand that? Apply my economic principles and I'll meet your needs. If you do this, then I will do that. Christ says trust. Trust. Believe. Why do you have such little faith? And I move from thoughts to beliefs. You see, oh, you have little faith. It's really a belief issue. What do I believe about God? Do I really believe that God is trustworthy? Do I really believe that God knows my situation? Do I really believe that God cares about my situation? Do I really believe God has the power to change it? If I don't believe those things, then we can stop right here. There's no need to go further into his financial principles. Because if I don't believe God is trustworthy then I'm going to be worried all the time about everything that comes through my life because it's a trust issue. It comes down to this. Is God telling the truth or not? And if you're having trust issues with God, just get to know Him more. Spend more time with Him because the more you get to know Him, the more you find He's trustworthy. Well, let's look at verse 31 and 32. Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So God says, I know you have financial needs, and they're important. And they're not going to be here forever. And you better understand you're not going to own them here on this earth. You're just a steward of the things you have. But I know you've got financial needs. I get it. That's why I want you to pray about them. 
You see, some of you think you're only to pray about real spiritual things like God bless all the missionaries and God bring peace on earth and sounds more like a Miss America pageant or something like that. But you think that's the way you're supposed to pray if that's a spiritual prayer. But God says, if you're worried about it, I'm concerned about it. So I want you to pray about it because I don't want you to be worried about it. But verse 33 is the economic principle. And I wanted us to study the passage leading up to that. And then we're going to study the verse after it as well. But let's really focus in on our theme verse for the whole series. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Underline seek. It's an action verb. So we move from thoughts to beliefs to actions. A lot of people say, I believe this or I believe that, but they don't live it out. It has to move into actions for us to activate these economic principles in our lives and in our finances. Okay, okay sorry. Carrie, dude, um, that verse 33, uh, 633 is not saying seek these things. These This is not a economic principle. This is the point of that Jesus brought up. The reason why he brought these things up wasn't because he was giving us financial advice or advice on how to overcome stress. He was, he was making an appeal for people to put their trust in God, to put their trust in him, to have faith. By the way, Greek word for faith and trust are synonymous. When I, so when I use the word trust in English, uh, that it, that's exactly what the Greek word is. Uh, it's it's trust. Faith is trust. This isn't economic principles. This is about an appeal to faith. Carrie, you have to act upon them. He says, seek, and then seek first. Underline seek first. If you want God to meet your needs, you got to put Him first in your finances. If you want, oh man, conditional clause. He just turned it into a conditional law keeping clause. Principles are about law keeping. Oh, I want God to be involved in your life. Put him first in that area of your life. Put him first in your relationships. Put him first in your marriage. Put him first in your work. Put him first in your finances. Put him first in your interests. Put him first in every area of your life. And you'll move from the stress zone to the blessed zone. And the only way to move from the stress zone to the blessed zone in finances is to put God first in your finances. This is the principle of tithing. And it's taught all throughout scripture. All right. I've had enough. <laughs> man. Oh, man, 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 man. It just, this is mm. from the new 95 theses, theses number seven. By teaching tips for attaining perfect health, debt-free wealth, and better sex and marriage, the purveyors of relevance undermine true fear and love and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like clouds without rain, purpose-driven preachers withhold the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross and enslave men's consciences to the law which they cleverly disguise as so-called biblical principles. That's what that is. This is the law cleverly disguised as biblical principles. This is a works-based, performance-based Christianity, and any works-based or performance-based Christianity is not Christianity at all. It enslaves you and doesn't set you free, and it cannot save you because you are incapable of applying these principles in any way, shape, or form that even remotely resembles perfection. Therefore, you are unsure of God's love and forgiveness. You are unsure of his favor towards you, and you are left wondering, am I saved? But Christ calls us to a sure and certain faith, a faith that is built 
on him and his actions, his works, his things that he has done, trusting that he has died a perfect sacrifice for our sins, that he offers his us his righteousness free and gift it's free and clear as a gift by faith not by works not by conditional clauses and not by application of principles that's the difference oh what a mess what a mess anyway so today kind of marks a, a very first here at fighting for the faith and my wife ought to be happy <laughs> we actually went two hours anyway if you would like to email me regarding anything you heard on today's program, you can do so by uh, contacting me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless you.